All right. Well, okay, so a couple of things first. I don't think all of you registered. <laughs> so our goal is to continue to, uh, to, to have the, what is called social distancing, although we call it physical distancing, meaning a couple of chairs between families or whatever, and, uh, and way more of you uh, came than signed. Now, if you're guests today, ignore everything I'm saying. We intentionally leave like 50 spots for guests in case guests show up. You're not, you're not the ones who messed up. So members, you're supposed to register before coming. So make sure, because it, it, we could be, get out of hand in a hurry if, peop, if everyone shows up next week again and then other people. And there was more space in the first service, which is typically the case. There was more, although about 150 people came there. So there'd been a room for about 100 more people to register um, but but uh, we want to fight to maintain that, if at all possible. So please, moving forward, register on the website um, if you're going to be coming, and uh, that would be great. We'd really appreciate that. And it would allow us to, to maintain uh, deferring to the appropriate governing authorities and that kind of stuff, what they're asking us to do, and to maintain uh, gentleness for those who are more concerned about uh, coronavirus than others. So anyway, that's our motivation here. So that's one. And then two, for those of you who are online or if you're here, if you're here in a minute when we're done, if part of your worship, if you want that to be giving, there are baskets by the doors and whatever uh, when we're done. And so you can do that, or obviously you can do that online. Uh, the ministries of the church, most of, the, most of what we do is still going on. Most of what we do as a church is still going on, at least um, you know, guiding other ministries, being coming alongside them, um, helping people, that kind of stuff. So uh, that's, that's still an important part of all that we do together. And sometime soon we'll do a little bit of a report on, on kind of what we've been doing during this time uh, with all that as well. So anyway, we're proud to have all of you here. We're glad that you're here and, uh, and, um, and next time register. All right, so here we go. <clears throat> Daniel chapter 6. I'm just going to go ahead and read this passage um, which many of us are familiar with. It is interesting. Um, we talked about on the podcast uh, with uh, Paula, John, and I, we talked about how, I mean, that Daniel and the lion's den must be one of the most recognized, best-known stories, at least from the Bible, maybe just generally in literature, um, that people at least know it exists. They may have no idea what happened in the story, but they, they recognize that phrase, Daniel and the lion's den. Um, but as you're going to see, Daniel is in the lion's den for about two verses, um, and yet we could think of this whole book as coming down to this one moment that's such so key and significant, and it is, but as we do this, I think you'll be surprised to see how little we actually have about Daniel in the den of the lions. Daniel chapter 6, I'm going to start in verse 11, then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? And the king answered and said, The thing stands fast, according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said to the king Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, he pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. He labored until the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Now, O king, no, O king, that that's the law of the Medes and the Persians, that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. 
The king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet, and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of the lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel to shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones into pieces. And King Darius wrote to the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is a living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Again, we talked about the last few weeks. Daniel's example to us in these six chapters has been solid gold. It's amazing the thought that you would have someone whose life spans all these years, decades and decades of ministry, that you can go to him as the example that you're never too young to stand up for the Lord, and you can go to the same man that's to, to argue that you're never too old to stand up for the Lord. We meet him when he's a child here at this time. He's probably 80 to 90 years old. And so what an amazing story that we've gotten from him, this example of him. It's very valuable, super precious to us. Um, it's, it's, a, it's always valuable to us that we consider that he is in trouble for doing what he had done every day, maybe for 60 or 70 years every day of his life. I'm sure imperfectly, but consistently. Look to marriages, friendships, ministries that span decades, 20 years and 30 years and 40 years and 50 years, especially young people, when you're looking to people to guide you and model you, looking to those marriages and the friendships and the ministries and the ministers who have accomplished these things for decades without giving up, finishing strong. Again, that's why we come back to the fact that these guys find Daniel in his consistency. This is exactly what they use against him. That's our goal as well, especially as a culture becomes less friendly to our faith, that we're able to not only only be caught in doing what God would have us do, but that we can be caught in doing what God would tell us to do. That's an important principle. So we're working to memorize that Daniel 6.5, that these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless it is connection, unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. That's, that's, the, that's the goal, is that people would be able to find us guilty of following the law of our God, but wouldn't be able to find us guilty of anything else. What a great picture for us. 
And so now these men, these powerful men, the top hundred-something men of the city of Babylon outside of Darius and Daniel have now been reduced to being the tattletales in elementary school. They come running back to the king, oh, we're telling. So it says in verse 12, then they came near and stood before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? Remember, you have this general who has been given the promotion to king, and now through their brilliant idea, he's essentially accepted the promotion to God. No one may pray or petition any you, anyone or any God except you. And, and Darius in his pride has accepted this. So they come back and throw this in his face. And the king answered, the thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot, cannot be revoked. Now, why does this keep getting mentioned, this whole law of the Medes and the Persians that cannot be revoked? <clears throat> There's probably at least a few answers here. One is, Darius may not have been super firm on it. He wasn't a lifelong politician. He was a general. And generals don't make decisions that way. Generals don't say, hey, go, go attack the left flank of the enemy and then realize, oh, that's a mistake. We should attack the right flank. Generals don't go, well, I mean, I already said left flank. I guess I'm stuck with that. No, no. Generals go like, nope, belay that order, right flank. And everybody adjusts. That's just what you do. And so now maybe for him the idea of creating a law that then somehow has any anchor on him is a strange concept. And so so maybe that's why it keeps getting mentioned, because Darius is a little rough on it. Maybe it's for us, the reader, to help us understand and memorize what's going on here in this passage, and to hear this, that 2,600 years ago, there was a group of people, the Medes and the Persians, who began this revolutionary idea that maybe laws should apply to royalty. Maybe when royalty creates a law, it should apply to them as well. Maybe when Congress creates a new health care program, it shouldn't be just for Congress, right? It should be for everybody. That's the, that's the principle. We, we feel, we recognize that. When we see leadership, government agents, when we see them create a law that either only applies to them or only applies to everybody but them, we read that as injustice rightly because it is. That is injustice. It's injustice for governing authorities to say, here's what's right. I mean, not right for us, but it's right for the rest of you. And that they had recognized this 2,600 years ago, and the Medes and the Persians were saying, hey, wait a minute, we probably ought to have some guideline here that once a king makes a ruling, how could we keep the king from making flippant, foolish, rash rulings? Well, here's what we could do. We could make it where if he makes one, he's stuck with it. It's a pretty good rule. So that's what's going on here. The the laws of the Medes and the Persians actually were quite complex. They had limits. They had kinds of reviews. There was like a review board, kind of a senate for the emperor who reviewed his rulings and laws. One of the guidelines seems to be that if a king created a mandate, the law restricted him as well. Even he couldn't countermand it on a whim. Apparently, he could create incongruous ones like we're going to see at the end of this chapter. This This is the ruling but then this is also the ruling. Or even like in the book of Esther, we see con- conflicting ones. On this day, anyone can, can rob and murder the Jews. And then later, the same king makes a different ruling. He doesn't cancel the original one. He just says, on the same day, the Jews can rob and murder anyone they want to. Oops. Must have been an interesting day, right? But that's the, that's the command that goes out. Apparently, that's how, part of how this plays. It is significant. We're going to come to this in a second. 
But imagine you're Darius, and here you are, a little bit full of yourself, maybe a lot full of yourself. No one's allowed to pray to anyone but you for 30 days. You're now God. You're now Savior, right? Feeling pretty good about yourself. And they answered and said to the king, Daniel, who's one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king. Or the injunction you've signed, but he makes a petition three times a day. The king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. Now notice this. One, the the language here implies very distressed at himself. And many of the older translations catch on to that. Like, he's mad at himself. He instantly understands what's just happened. He's been outmaneuvered, outclassed, outpoliticked, outsmarted. And he immediately knows it. Oh, how did I fall for this? Now, just stop and ask yourself a second. Remember, he's God. How long did that feeling last? Right? Oops. Something about that just doesn't work very well when human beings take on the role of God. He makes petitions three times a day. The king is distressed. I, I, didn't, I didn't mean for that to happen. That's not supposed to be a consequence of what's going on. No, 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 no. I didn't mean this to apply to Daniel. We don't know exactly what Darius is thinking, why Darius missed this, why he didn't understand that this is going to happen. Remember we talked about Daniel chapter 3. It's like, where's Daniel in Daniel chapter 3? Maybe Nebuchadnezzar foresaw a moment like this and was like, hey, before I tell everybody to bow down to this statue, I need to get Daniel out of Dodge. Otherwise, he's going to embarrass me when I say everybody bow down, and Daniel's going to go, I mean, no, right? And that's going to be horrifying and embarrassing. Let's get him out. We don't know what, where Daniel is in Daniel chapter 3, but wherever it is, Darius misses it because Daniel did exactly what he had done the day before. This is a conspiracy now. We see that all throughout this passage, that by agreement they do things. This is letting us know there's a conspiracy here. He is very distressed. The conspiracy is set on the king not getting around this. They had trapped Daniel and trapped Darius. Darius knew it. They knew it. They maybe considered themselves so indispensable that they could get away with this. Some think that even this is a coup. That essentially they're now trying to overthrow Darius, getting rid of his most trusted and blessed advisor. And then maybe they can, they can humiliate him publicly, they can humiliate him politically, and then they can begin to take power from him. Not a bad strategy if you leave God out of the equation, which is what they did. That turns out to be a mistake. Darius is humiliated and outplayed. A moment of reckoning was coming, and now that I, I, I was curious, I talked with various people about like, how, did, how did they not see this coming? This is, as, you, as I just read out loud to you, this is not going to go well for them. In the end, it turns out humiliating an old general is not a good idea. Old soldiers are not good people to have really, really angry at you. And this is going to blow up in their face before this is all over with. How did they not see this coming? And I think there's a simple answer. I won't spend a lot of time here, but the simple answer is sin. Their vain ambition, their desire to be their own gods, they have now fooled uh, Darius into making this stance to taking this view and they maybe they haven't even played it all the way out how is this going to turn out if it doesn't work out well maybe they know it maybe they know they're all in and they're either now totally out of the game or they win and they know that but but it seems odd to me this is this is one of the powers of sin if we look over in Paul's letter to uh, to Titus Paul says in Titus 1:15 to the pure all things are pure 
but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Both their minds and their consciences are defiled. So you can't trust your conscience unless your conscience is empowered by the Spirit. You can't trust your mind unless your mind is put on the things of God. That's a scary thought that in sin, and all, by the way, every person in the room has experienced this. Every one of you has experienced where you have realized after your sin, you have said to yourself, what was I thinking? How did I think I was going to get away with that? How did I think that wasn't going to be revealed? Because the problem is we don't think in those moments. We are caught up, our mind is defiled, and we're caught up in that moment of sin. And later it makes no sense, or it's so obviously going to get us caught and in trouble. And yet in the moment we're caught up in it, we all have experienced this. Hebrews 3, the writer of Hebrews says, Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another... Every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. The hardened, being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We buy our own press. We buy the lies told to us by our flesh, the things that make us feel good in the moment, the things that allow us to express our emotions even when they're wrong. These are the things that we know sometimes even are sin, but we can't, we can't make ourselves engage with them in a way that, that because we've bought the lie. We've trusted the world. We've trusted what the advertisements say and what the emails say and what, what the world tells us left and right, like that this is the reality of it, and we've been hardened by that deceitfulness. My old student minister years ago uh, had a great saying that has stuck with me. It's one of the ways you can spot sin. Sin will, he said, and many of you have heard this, Many of you, especially grew up in the church, it will keep you longer than you meant to stay, take you further than you meant to go, and cost you more than you meant to pay. So true. You, you, you think you're the one riding the tiger, but one, getting off the tiger is scary, right? But turns out sometimes the tiger's got you instead. Darius is caught in his pride, and they're going to be caught in their own trap of dishonesty they'd read the Proverbs, they could have known that. They could have known about the fact that people who lay traps fall in them. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. Darius is already humbled. He's already humiliated. Remember this moment before, right before the three Hebrew men are thrown into the fiery furnace? The moment, this moment for Nebuchadnezzar was, and who will save you out of my hand? What God will save you from my hand? Nebuchadnezzar is still in self-God mode. He still thinks he's God at that moment. He's about to learn otherwise. Darius already has realized. How long did it take Darius? It didn't take Darius long. God bless him, right? I mean, sometimes the best we can hope for is that we learn more quickly. But here you have Darius has caught on to the fact this whole God thing isn't working out well for him. He ever, no one is supposed to come to him, anyone but him with a petition. Hey, I need something. I'm going to ask only Darius for that thing. No one else. I'm not going to ask anybody else. Well, now Darius isn't going to get what Darius wants. If you're God and you can't even make your own desires come true, you have a problem. 
And that's where Darius is. How quick did it take Darius to recognize, I'm not God, despite my promotion. I can't even save Daniel from my lion's den. How limited and pathetic a God we are, despite his promotion. This is one of the things that strikes us. We're going we're gonna, to, in a minute, like, I'm going to share with you in simple terms what the gospel is which is exciting to me. Understand that what we see in this passage is the, is the common human epic. Anytime we see this work out this way where you have, here's what humans are like, here's what we're like, or you have this, here's what God is like, and that's what we have here. We have humans are going to work together to create this tragic situation, an awful, unjust, tragic situation, and that's what humans are going to do but God. Those two words, the gospel is wrapped up right there. But look at the opposite. When you go, okay, here's what God is doing. Here's what God has commanded. Here's what God has instructed. And we say, yeah, but I... That's always bad news. That's why a gospel is needed is because of the but I phrase. But me, but you, that we go, here's what, here's what God would say. God says, this is my provision for you. And I go, yeah, but, I mean, me... That sentence better end with a Savior. And it better not be me. Versus the opposite. With this God, we're going to have to settle on something. There is a hope. I love that that Darius says this. May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. Darius is now humbled. May your God, because it won't be me. I hope there's a God who can rescue you because I can't. He spent all day trying to figure out how to rescue Daniel, and he's such a limited God that he can't even do this one thing. So Darius has now been humbled enough to recognize, well, I won't be rescuing you. I won't be changing this. I won't be fixing this. I sure hope your God can. What a powerful picture of a man coming to the end of himself really fast. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Now, notice, this is really almost humorous. Daniel is is thrown into the lion's den. A stone is placed over the den of lions. And where does the storyteller take us? To the palace? Do you care what's going on in the palace? I don't care what's going on in the palace. I want to know what's going on in the lion's den. Daniel just got thrown into the den of lions, and the stone got put in part of it and in front of it, and now we've got now we've got and by the way, here's what's going on with Darius. I don't care what's happening with Darius. I want to know what's happening with Daniel. But the storyteller is going to keep us on the hook another few verses longer. As the story gets told, a stone is brought and sealed. The king went to his palace and spent the night fasting, no diversions. Like I said, because probably because of my grandfather, I, I like old I have a natural affinity towards old soldiers. I like old soldiers. I've liked Gabrias from the day that I found out who he really was. That's always been positive to me. I grew to like Nebuchadnezzar. I don't know about you, but as we've studied through the life of Daniel, getting to know Nebuchadnezzar, I really kind of Nebuchadnezzar kind of grew on me. I don't know about you guys, but he kind of grew on me. I kind of like Nebuchadnezzar. Um, I hope he makes it to the afterlife that, that we can share together. It'd be good to get to know him. I already like this man 
The minute I found out who he was, he has a heart. He's not merely a utilizer. He's not merely a general. He's a human. Um, I remember years ago when General Schwarzkopf was in an interview, and he, refer- he, he, he referenced the fact that he sees 144 men, um, not a battalion. That, that, that it's, that's a, he, he, his heart breaks for his soldiers when they suffer. Like, I like that idea of, of Gobrius being that kind of a general. Maybe he was. Historical reputation, by the way, is that he was kind of a rough man, a rough old man who had now settled himself down, and essentially this kingship of Babylon was his retirement. He had retired to the kingship of Babylon. That's what he's going to do to to wine and women and entertainment, to comfort. And that's how he was going to live out the rest of his life. And then he gets himself caught up in this political intrigue and pretty much immediately is uncomfortable. And maybe that's why the Bible brings attention to his discomfort during the night that Daniel is in the den of lions. Now, remember Darius, um, I don't know how this affects camera stuff, I'm walking over here. Remember Darius um, had said, uh, can your God save you? Can the God that you worship save you? Do you think Darius, maybe he had gone over to the temple, we've talked about this plaque that might have been in the Babylonian temple, um, where all the other gods and, and all the other statues and idols were, and he calls him the living God. And the living God is a reference to the fact that the God that Daniel serves is not made out of stone or, or bronze or silver or gold or wood. He is a God who just lives. He exists. There's not something here that, that you can look at. Instead, we've imagined that there's a plaque there that as Nebuchadnezzar learned things and puts this up in the temple, so you can imagine that Darius went to go see what he could learn. He's a revealer of mysteries. He's a rescuer of his servants. And so maybe that's why Darius is so quick to say, may your God, the living God who you serve all the time, you serve him all the time. You wouldn't even take 30 days off for me to serve this God. Maybe maybe he will save you. So what, what was going on with him? And by the way, I think it's significant that the other leaders put their signet rings, they, they marked the stone with their signet rings too. I don't know exactly what that means, but I think it's probably humiliating for Darius. That they're going, I mean, yeah, you put yours on there, but we need to put ours on there too. I don't know if that's all about that. Maybe this is Darius's way of making them uh, responsible for how this goes out. We don't, we don't really know what's going on there, but there are a lot of, uh, there's a lot of feeling. like There's more to this than just some little trick. This is a battle of wills or of strength. The tension is heightened. So we know what kind of night Darius had. What kind of night did Daniel have? And incidentally, we don't really know. We get one little piece of information. Then at the break of day, which by the way implies here, as soon as the sun began to show, Darius, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. And as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God. Has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? He didn't send a servant. He went himself. He actually asked. He was so urgent to get there as soon as the sun was up, as soon as he could follow his own law. He went, he shouted, and here's what I've always wondered, just because I'm this kind of a person, I wonder how long Daniel waited to answer him. <laughs> that's, just, that's just where my brain goes. I've said before, like when the three Hebrew guys were, were in the fiery furnace and, and Nebuchadnezzar tells them to come out, I've always imagined them like taking their time with that because they had all the cards. It's not like Dan- Nebuchadnezzar could go in and get them. Like, oh, hey, hey, we're, I mean, we're fine, right? We got some more stuff to talk about here. 
in this case is that, was, was your God able to save you? And Daniel's like, I don't know, I don't know. Probably not. Daniel's probably a much, much better man than I am. So who you, the man who you serve continually, this is the, the living God who you serve, was he able to save you? And Daniel says to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. So I'm not going to tell you guys something that I was working on. I've been working on literally since February, and, and because of COVID, it, it, it just wasn't going to happen. And uh, oh, good, my wife left the room. Maybe she never has to know about this. Um, I was in communication with a group nearby who has large cats. And in the first, communicate, first round, few rounds of communication, the goal was somehow to get me in the presence of a lion to do a little video that we would like show at this point, right? So there's two things about that. One, my wife has an authentic phobia of lions. Like an actual straight up, she has a hard time going to that part of the zoo. If we're in another part of the zoo and the lion roars, she's like, because she thinks it's gotten out and it's coming for her. And uh, so anything like move, lions and movies, any of that kind of stuff is a true absolute phobia. So I was, I was certainly not going to tell her if I was able to pull this off before I went and did it, right? Because, <coughs> you know, that's, that's wise for marriage. But the, um, uh, it, it just, because of coronavirus, it just, the communication stuff just fell apart. It turned out it wasn't able to happen, uh, which was a real bummer. That's okay. Um, but I think the part of why I wanted to do that is because we've grown up with this story, we lose sometimes the terror of this story. We lose the terror of a, of a hole, a pit dug full of lions that are intentionally starved so that they're incredibly hungry when you throw someone in there. And so they're in there roaring and prowling and looking up in and, and the hole, waiting for someone to drop food down to them. And that's actually what's going on here. And, and so that was the goal. Now, here instead we find out the fourth man strikes again. That angel shows up and somehow closes the mouth of the lions. And we don't know the mechanics of that. What does that mean? Does he just mean figuratively they just they stayed away from me? They, you know, whatever? Because, I mean, lions have claws too. We need more than just the mouths closed. We need the, you know, something else to happen there. But what exactly the experience of the night for Daniel was like, it's interesting because we know that Darius had a sleepless night. But he's in the ballast. What kind of night did Daniel have? And we don't know, but, but um, throughout history, people have painted renditions of this. So we have a few different versions of this. Um, this was the one that was funny to me. Y'all remember when the Daniel fast went through the church, um, you know, eating only the stuff that Daniel does in Daniel, one, Daniel chapter 1 the, um, and 2. But the, uh, anyway, so here we have that one. Hold off. Don't, don't, don't do them until I say. So here, this, I like this one because you have an older man there. Um, his, hands are bow- his hands are tied. And what's interesting is the, re- the representation of this artist is that the lions are afraid of Daniel. Notice how there's one even growling at him or, or roaring at him from back, but they're bowing almost to him. He is an authority and command in this moment. He's just standing there with his hands tied, and they're waiting for him to make the first move. That's kind of an intriguing idea. That's intentionally woven into that one. Here's another one that I like even better. I like this one because, again, we, we show an old man, but here his, his back is to the lions. He is absolutely unconcerned with the lions. Here it's obviously daybreak, and he's listening for the, the, as the king shouts in there. But, but he's chill. I mean, he's not worried about the lions at all at this point, which I think I like the image of Daniel not being concerned about it. Then we, then we talked about it. 
um, as, as John and Paul and I were talking about it this week, and, and John sent me a picture that he said, this is always, he, he didn't know what picture I had chosen at that time, because I have my favorite I'm about to show you um, from history, but here's the picture he said that makes him think of what Daniel, uh, that, that's, that's his son Cade um, with the dog, and that that's the image he's always had of Daniel. Um, you know, that's what Daniel spent the night doing was sleeping soundly with the lions, right? Comfortable, safe. He didn't know that my picture that I like best is this one, which is, which is the same, essentially the same thing. There you have a very, I like that he's a very, oh, looks to be a very old man there. And here he is, he's just asleep, comfortably asleep, laying against the lion. Now, a perfect one, if any of you artists out here want to create this, a perfect one would be more like a group of lions laying like pillows and like a thousand one Arabian nights type of thing. And he's just laid out across a whole bunch of lions. That's, that would have been the perfect picture um, warm, comfortable, um, soft fur, all that kind of stuff. Like it'd have been the best night of his best night sleep of his life. Unlike Darius, who had an awful night's sleep. So the king, whatever whatever it was. By the way, isn't that frustrating? Anybody else ever get frustrated when the Bible doesn't give information that you want it to give you? Oh my gosh! I'm like, more, please. I'd like to know more about what what happened with Daniel and the lions, but. There you go. That's, that's, you just heard the story of Daniel and the lions. That's the whole thing. It's like three verses. Everything else, and I said in the first service, unfortunately, that kind of offers a job possibility for me to get to kind of flesh out maybe what the Bible says, so, um, which is always scary and dangerous. But then the king was exceedingly glad, and he commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in God. Now again, keep in mind, the reason probably we don't get a lot of details about what happened with Daniel in the lion's den is because that's not the point of the story. The point of this account is that God was faithful. Remember, the protagonist of the book of Daniel is not Daniel. It's God. And so here we have this perfect picture. The law had been fulfilled. This Even this kind of immoral, unjust, foolish law, it was followed. The rules were fulfilled. Mankind created an option that they attempted some kind of justice. It's infected by man's sin and pride. And God brings grace and true justice into existence despite mankind's best efforts. Not because of them, not even through them, despite them. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. This is, I want to take a second and make sure, because I've been stunned over the years at how people can grow up in church, hear sermon after sermon, and, and I know they've heard the gospel, and they don't know it. This, we see the epic story of the gospel told over and over and over, represented over and over in Scripture, and this is one of them. That we see mankind creating an effort at right, at justness, and yet it's infected by sin. Each of us and all of us, that's us. The sin we inherited through Adam's sin, plus the sin of us as individuals, understand all of us, each of us, all of us as a race, each of us as individuals, all of us as a creation are rebels. We were rebels we demanded our own way. We wanted to be our own God. We were by nature children of wrath. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were like sheep who wandered off and were lost. 
pick the analogy, the biblical analogy. The, com- the combined analogies, they always come back to this. We were hopeless and we were helpless. We had a huge problem and we could do nothing to solve it. We were in rebellion against the Almighty God who we absolutely need to have a right relationship with. That's where we stand. Each of us and all of us. If either one of those brings you discomfort, I'm sorry, it's the truth. But even if one brings you discomfort, you cannot deny the other one. You're part of the problem. I'm part of the we aren't We aren't some blank slate born that then the system messes us up. That is excrement. That is unthinking philosophy from man that makes no sense. There isn't a system that makes us that, that, that is the problem in our lives. We are the problem, and we're who create the system. That's why the systems are broken, because we are part of the problem. We're why the system is broken. It's you. It's me. And every time we try to fix it, we keep infecting the system with more of our messed upness. We can't solve this. So there's step one. We have a problem. We can't solve it. But God. But God, because of His character and who He is and what He's like, He has said, not because of our merit, not because we've earned it, not because we're worth it, but because He chooses this, because He loves us, because He wants us, He provides a way. The cosmic plan before the creation of time was that the second person of the Trinity would come and live as a human being and die in our place, paying for the just legal ramifications of all of us and each of us, and the just wrath against us from all of us and each of us of a just God. Of course, a just God hates sin. If you don't hate sin, you are not just. So this is that we have a just God and He hates sin. That's our problem. And we're the cause of that problem and we need someone to solve it and we can't but God. So God sent His Son. He so loved the world that He sent His Son that all we have to do is accept the free gift of adoption. And now we go from being lost to being found. From being dead to being alive. From being hopeless to never being without hope again. That's the gospel. Our part is to accept that free gift. That is the gospel. Here's the good news. Ladies and gentlemen, there is a free gift offered to each and all of us from God to have a right relationship with Him. And you can't earn it. You can't work for it. You can't make it happen. It's free. Accept it. If you've never accepted it, Don't let another day go by without accepting the free gift. That's exactly what we see in the story of Daniel. We see mankind messing it up, putting Daniel in a situation where he must be rescued. And Daniel can't help himself, and Darius can't help Daniel, but God steps in and rescues Daniel. It is the gospel again and again and again. Don't miss it. We don't want to I don't ever want there to be anyone from this church, from South Spring, who years down the road, when someone says, hey, so what's the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they go, well, I've been a good person. No, you haven't. 
Again, have you met you? You have not. Everything you do is tainted. Do we do good things? Yeah, that's because we're created in the image of God. Isn't that amazing? And we're treasure to Him. That's awesome. But that's not going to get us there. The law was fulfilled. My, my favorite picture of this, and I'm short on time, but my favorite picture of this is taking, one of my, taking Mark down the Buffalo River. We had run out of good drinks. We were down to just water. We had a full day and a half left, and it was a, it was a scorcher. And we're going down the river, and everyone's like just all bummed because all the dads had under had underpacked drinks, Gatorades and sodas and all that kind of stuff. And so we're going down the river, and Mark is drifting along, being pulled behind the canoe. We have a way we were doing that, and he was just you know, drifting down the river. And he goes, hey, wait, whoa, Dad, there's something in the river. So I back paddle, and we stop. He starts diving down and coming up with cans of soda and Gatorades. <laughs> Apparently somebody else's ice, uh, ice cooler had dumped out right here in the river. This is a great, needless to say, we spent some time that day talking about unmerited, unexpected, hopeless good gifts. <laughs> a good gift that we didn't even think to, not like we prayed that God would even provide that. How, how weird would that have been to us? Like, and yet God provides a good gift that we had no hope to get, none. It's a good gift. It's an it's a awesome thing. This is the good gift that God has for us for eternity, that we can be His children forever. It's, prof- it's simple enough for a child and profound enough that a scholar was, a scholars will still be studying it a million years from now. That's the gospel. He did it. He finished it. He did the real work, and now we can trust in Him. And by the way, part of the gospel is that everything else is sinking sand, including us. That's part of the gospel. Everything else is sinking sand. They're empty wells. We're not kidding when we say that. As a therapist, I get to watch it. I get to watch people do that all the time. The king commanded, and the men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions... I don't know what kind of night they spent. Maybe they were celebrating all night, but it turns out bad for them. Kind of like the Mother Goose, the old Grimm stories, the way they're, brother, the Grimm stories, the way they're really told. Dark at the end, the enraged old soldier pours out his vengeance on these families. This isn't necessarily honored biblically. It's just, this is just what happened. In fact, one of the laws of the Jews was that this wasn't to be done. Deuteronomy 24, 16 says, Fathers shall not be put to death because of their children, nor children because of their fathers. Each one shall be put to death for his own sins. Darius then makes one more decree, similar to Nebuchadnezzar's early on, and again, very Jewish in its sound. Maybe, maybe he had Daniel pen it. Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. He is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and His dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and earth. He who saved Daniel from the power of the lions. This is amazing stuff. This is the idea here. Darius has figured this out, and he says, hey, this guy rescued Daniel. This God might be able to rescue you. Darius has been humbled and broken in this. But in the midst of all this, it makes me wonder, because obviously Babylon did not become a Jewish nation. They didn't become a Yahweh-fearing nation. Was this just lost among the decrees? There were decrees maybe every day to different gods. This feels like us sometimes. It's natural for us. If we're not careful, we, we wait until Sunday to have the Bible opened up for us and read to us and then applied, told how to apply it. And by the way, that's part of what Sunday morning is for. But if you're waiting for Sundays for that, it's not how it works. 
And in fact, you're going to be really frustrated over the next few weeks and months as we study prophecy out of the second half of the book of Daniel. Because the application of prophecy is pretty much the same week after week after week after week. He shall reign forever and ever. He is God and we are not. That's going to be the application week after week as we look at prophecy over the next. And we're going to start laying some foundation of what prophecy is over the next couple of weeks, and then we will actually jump into Daniel's prophecy over the next six chapters. It may be that for you, application, there's nothing wrong with mental application. You're just learning something that you need to learn. It may be that you need that reminder the next few weeks, God is still in control. Certainly, we could use that one. Also, it may be, and this is going to come as maybe even offensive to some of you, maybe some of you need to be finding biblical application during the Bible study you're doing at some time other than Sunday morning. It may be that you need to be reading in God's Word and finding things that can apply to your life outside of just Sunday mornings, especially over these next few weeks, or it's going to feel kind of dry to you. If you find yourself going, wow, this prophecy stuff is really hard, it feels really dry, that may be because you're not, you're not saturating yourself with God's Word all week, and you're just waiting for Sunday. This is important stuff, and it's going to be fascinating, but I want that to be an important thing you understand. <clears throat> Pronouncements like this can get lost to us. I think sometimes that happens to us when, when we isolate our Christian faith to a Sunday morning, is it gets lost to us, because today is Sunday, it's God's day, and then tomorrow is Monday, it's a different day. It's for something else. There's a different God for that day, and a different God for Tuesday, and a different God for Wednesday. It's actually how the, na- the names are sometimes created. So we get lost in that, and I don't want us to get lost in that. To wrap up with the last verse, this, so this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. It's a great picture for us of the gospel in this life lived out. Daniel's life saturated. Maybe it like, makes Daniel different is that he stopped and listened every day. He stopped and listened to God every day. And in this world, in the world that he has lived in, one of technological advances and flashy new things and lots of things to distract him, just like we have, maybe it's easy for us to get lost in that as well. So let's not. Let's take time, preaching to myself as well, let's take time every day to listen to what God has for us. So stand if you